Well, in chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 21, we have some clear principles for how God desires the Christian to live his life. By now, we should realize that the word walk shows up quite a number of times in verses 1 through 21. And we've said that the word walk is referring to how you live your life. How you live your life as a Christian, that's what this word is pointing us to. The point in verses 15 through 17 that we're looking at today is that we walk, that we live in wisdom instead of living foolishly. In verses 15 through 17, there's, there's some clear commands here. Very obvious commands. Commands for how Christians are to live their lives. Christians are to do these things so that they represent who they are. If a person is in Christ, these are things that are to be true of how he lives out his life. Remember that chapter 5 verse 1 calls the Christian to imitate God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That really, God, the Holy Spirit inspiring the Word of God, calls on us to imitate God, to be like God. That's We get our English word mimic from this passage of Scripture. Mimic God. Be like God by walking first in love, and secondly by walking in the light. And in verses 15 through 17 that we're looking at today, there's, there's this continued call to imitate God, to, to be like God. And here we're called to imitate God, to be like God by living our lives in wisdom. The call here is don't be like the world, Christian. Don't be like the world. Don't live foolishly. Be like God. I dare say that most of us sitting here today, if I were to ask you, you don't want to live foolishly, right? You want to live in wisdom. Because as a Christian, these verses are critical for our lives for knowing and applying these things to our lives as His people. Uh, the handout you have there, the main idea is quite simple, as it has been for the last couple of weeks. Imitate God by walking in wisdom. That goes all the way back to verse 1. Imitate God, and these verses kind of flesh out for us three ways in which we do that. Walking in love, walking in the light, walking in wisdom. So look at your handout, verse 15. The first thing we see there is wise Christians live carefully. Wise Christians which the logic of this is foolish Christians don't live carefully. Christian, imitate God. Be a wise Christian. Live carefully. Verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I think it's pretty clear. Verse 15, the main issue here is unwise or foolish versus being wise. That's, that's kind of simple, and I'm grateful for that. Those who have been saved by God's grace, those who have repented of their sin, as the Bible calls them to, and those who have trusted in Jesus have been made wise by God. So the question is, how does that affect how we live? If we are God's children and we're to imitate God and God is wise and by trusting in Jesus, God has given us wisdom. He's made us wise. Look at verse 15. We are told, the Christian is told to look carefully. Some of you have a translation that reads walk 
circumspectedly. And I had to practice that this week. I have a hard time. You know, you're from the South. You get too many syllables in there. It's just that word goes out the door. It's just, it's just hard to do. Walk circumspectedly. I got pretty close, I think. Verse 15 says, look carefully then. The word then has the same idea as the word therefore. So verse 15 is referring back to verse 1 and everything that comes after that. Christians, because they're God's children, they do what? They imitate God. They mimic God. They live wisely. Only the wise walk, only wise living is fitting for the people of God. There is no other option. Only walk wise. Imitate God. Look carefully, it says. The meaning behind that word is that of being accurate or exact. It has the idea of examining, investigating something with great care. And that would be your life, Christian. Look carefully. Be accurate. Be exact. Examine. Investigate with great care. Uh, much to our surprise, the Christian life requires, requires that we be constantly alert. We're about, about falling asleep, right? In the world we live in. We, we kind of get caught up in things and we doze off. The Christian is to pay careful attention to how he lives his life. Those who walk carefully, notice, do not walk foolishly like unwise people. They do not do that. Christians don't do that. Look carefully at your life. Look at your life. Be accurate. Investigate carefully to make sure you're walking in wisdom. You're imitating God and not unwise. Not foolish. I think it's pretty clear here. Paul says that a wise person cares. And by wise person, I'm talking about a Christian. He cares how he or she lives. He or she cares how they behave. They care what their life is like, what their relationships are like. They care about what they do in this life. A mark of a wise person, a Christian, is that the wise person, again, he cares about how he lives. To imitate God, to be a Christian, is to take your behavior seriously. We don't get saved. We don't turn from our sin and trust in Jesus and then kick our lives in neutral and coast to the end. We are to be looking at our lives carefully, constantly observing our lives and looking. We are to take our behavior seriously. And on the other hand, the unwise, foolish person doesn't care about how he behaves. They don't think it's particularly important what they do or what they don't do with their lives. That's the way foolish people live. The wise person knows that how he lives matters, and therefore the wise person takes pains to ask himself, to ask herself, am I living wisely? Am I imitating God? The wise person takes care to be certain that the way he's living, the way she is living, is in accordance with God's will. That's a constant evaluation we need to be making. Am I living wisely? Am I imitating? Am I like God? And to be like God, we have to read what in order to know who God is like? We have to read His Word as His His people. The Bible says that to be foolish, to say that there is no God, is to be lost. And if you read the Bible, foolish people, it's particularly who they are. Foolish people are those who say there is no God. And those people are those who are lost. Do you see the logic of that? Foolish people say there is no God, so therefore those people are lost. Be careful, Christian. Don't act like you are a lost person. 
Don't live like you're lost. Examine carefully your life to make sure that you're not living as a lost person. Does that make sense? Don't live that way. Live wisely. If I said to everybody raise their hand who wants to know what it is to live with wisdom, we all want that, right? We want to be wise. So how does a believer gain wisdom? That would be a good question there. How do we gain wisdom? Well, there, there are numerous ways the Bible tells us that we can gain wisdom. The Bible says in Proverbs, I think it's 1-7, the beginning uh, of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. But Proverbs 13, verse 20, this would be a good verse for you to make note of and think about later on. Verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Man, that's straightforward, right? Walk with wise people, you'll become what? Wise. And in the Bible, wise people are who? Christians, right? Because they believe and trust in God and His Word. If you want to be wise, you what? You walk, you live with wise people. But notice what it says, but the companion of fools, and fools in the Bible is referring to who? The lost. But if you're a companion of fools, you're going to suffer harm. Christian, you match your life up with the fools or those who are lost. And again, let me clarify something here. If you hear me saying this word fool from the pulpit, don't, don't get angry. It's not talking about intellectual capabilities. It's talking about those who deny God who are lost. That's what a fool is. And if you want to become wise, you walk, you live with Christians, you live with wise people. I think I said this last week or the week before, that's why a Christian, your closest friends, should be other Christians. You should have unsaved friends. Everyone look at me. You should have unsaved friends. But they shouldn't be your closest friends. And you're going, but what happens when I get saved? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But whoever is a companion of fools will suffer harm. You still have those lost friends, but the the relationship at some point begins to change. How do we become wise? Walking with other believers. Titus 2 says that older men and women are to teach the younger men and women how to live. Older Christians... Older Christian men, older Christian women are to teach the younger Christian men and women how to what? Live. How to walk with Jesus. And by the way, you never get too old to do that. The Bible is clear. Those younger Christians need the older ones to come alongside and say, Hey, let me show you how to live. Let me show you how to walk with Jesus. You're going, I don't know a whole lot. We talk about making disciples, and a lot of people say, "I can't do that. I don't know how to. I don't know how to do that." Can I tell you something? I've learned how to make disciples by trying to disciple people. I become a disciple by trying to help others follow Jesus. <laughs> Older Christian men and women are to teach the younger. James one five says that God gives wisdom to those who ask for it. That's another way to gain wisdom. Ask for it. 
That's pretty clear, right? James says, if you lack wisdom, who do you go ask for that? God. God, I want to, I want to follow you. I want, I want to live for Jesus. I want to do what's right. I want to honor God. I want to use my life for the advance of the gospel. God, give me wisdom. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think God's going to go, well, let me get back to you on that? No, He's not going to do that. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says that in Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom are found. How many treasures of wisdom? All of them. Run to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus says, Fools build their house, their lives on the sand, the wise build their house on the what? The rock. And the rock is symbolic of God's Word. Secondly, how do we, how do we live wisely? First I said, how does a believer gain wisdom? But how do we live wisely? How do we, how do we look carefully at our lives? What are we looking for? God wants you to, to please and to glorify Him with your life. That's your purpose in life. To know God and to glorify Him. Let me give you one verse. We could talk about this all day long. How do we live wisely? How do we look carefully at our lives? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the... Glory of God. How do you live wisely? You live your life for one purpose, Christian. That's to what? Build your kingdom and make yourself known? No. Your life is to glorify God, to build up His kingdom, to to please Him. It says there, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And you read that, you're going, really, is God concerned about the fact that I eat or drink? Well, it said to do how much to the glory of God? All. Now, this verse is pointing us to something far greater than just eating or drinking. How often do you eat or drink? Often. Some more than others. And sometimes it... Occasions you eat enough that you might need to skip the next time if you're like me. But the point is, eating and drinking is an everyday thing. It's a routine of your life, right? And that's the point. Whatever it is you're doing, do it what? To the glory of God. Everything is to be done to the glory of God. How do we live wisely? We ask ourselves, am I living my life for the glory of God? Am I living my life for His purposes? So verse 16, moving along here. Wise Christians make the most of their lives. You see the transition that's made there? Wise Christians make the most of their lives. It says there in verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Again, how you live, Christian, matters. How you live matters. Wise people, those who imitate God, make the best use of their time. Some translations read, redeeming the time. In other words, redeem the opportunity that you have as a Christian to live in this world. Make the best use of the time. It has the basic meaning of, listen, buying back, or listen, or buying out something. Making the best use or redeeming the time means buying out. What does it mean to buy out something? 
If you had enough money and you walked into a store and you said, I'm going to buy you out, what would that mean? You get all of it, right? Make the best use, buy back all of your life for God and His glory. That word time there is to be not understood as time on the clock. Instead, it refers to measured, fixed period. Notice what's in front of the word time. Look. What's the word? The. It's a definite article. Make the best use of the time. In other words, God has set boundaries on our lives. And our opportunity to serve Him as believers exists only within those boundaries. God knows both the beginning and the end of our time here on earth. Christians, and I'll say this as well, church, we can only achieve our potential for God when we make the best use of the time that He has given us. Christian church, we are to redeem. We're to buy up all the time that we have and devote that to who? God. Paul pleads with the Christian. He pleads with the church to make the best use of the time right after he pleads for us to walk wisely rather than foolishly. The most foolish thing a Christian or a church can do is to waste time. How many of y'all hate wasting time? Man, that drives me nuts. I hate, I hate to wait. I saw hands go up in the back back there. They hate to waste time, to squander away time. He pleads, don't do that. The church must make the best use of the time they have. The most foolish thing we can do is to waste time, to squander away time in temporary, trivial things or in half-hearted service toward Jesus. Did you hear what I said? If you live your life half-hearted toward Jesus, you're wasting time. You're wasting God's time that He has given you. A wise Christian knows that we only have so much time and that time must be used. How, church? Wisely. For God's glory. I was reading the other day and a man by the name of Philip Melanchthon. Richards, he chuckled. He, he knows who I'm talking about. Melanchthon was a German theologian during the 16th century. And he had a friend by the name of Martin Luther. Everybody's heard Martin Luther, right? Writes a lot of songs in our, our hymn book. Philip kept a record of every wasted moment. And at the end of the day, he went to the Lord and repented. I might have to stay up late some nights. Can you imagine making a list as you went through your day of the time you wasted and then taking that to God at the end of the day and saying, God, I wasted your time. I didn't make the best use of your time today. Why the urgency not to waste time? Look at verse 16. Make the best use of the time. Why, church? Because the days are evil. The days are evil refers to the present age in which we're living. Anytime you see that in Scripture, it always refers to the present time in which those words are spoken. So you and I are living now. These words are spoken for us. This, is, this expression is what Paul has already talked about in chapter 2, verse 2. He said there that the course of this world is aligned with who? The devil. Paul said that the world is an evil, dark place. Evil has a grip on our world. Christian. And church, we must shine our light. Verse 8, right? Imitate God by being what? 
Light in a dark world. While we are living, we must not fall prey to our evil day. There must be a devotion to God's mission, a devotion to redeeming the time that God gives us. And listen, I think you've heard me say this. Whose time is it that God's giving us? His time. Christian, when you become, when you get saved, your time is no longer your time, it's God's time. If you read the book of the Revelation, which we started in Sunday school this morning, and some of the classes use the material, you will see that there's a church there which happens to be the church that we're studying the letter that Paul wrote to, the church at Ephesus. And the church failed in its devotion to love God. Everybody remember that? That's the one problem that Jesus had with the church at Ephesus. Return to your first love. They, they failed to have a devotion to love God. They failed to repent and do the works that they did at first. Sometime during the second century, the church in Ephesus disappeared and it's never been seen since. Instead of redeeming the evil days in which they existed, the church fell prey to those things. And listen, what did God do to that church? What did He do to those people? You're not going to redeem my time? You're gone. How do we make the best use of our time? Let me give you a couple of practical things or several practical things here. And here we go again. How do you make the best use of your time? Anybody want to guess? Read the Bible. I'll go, here we go again. Here's my question for you. Do you have a plan to read your Bible? There, there are thousands of them out there. If you don't know, if, you, if, you, if you're not familiar with those, you just come see me. I, I have several of those I can give you. Do you have a plan to read through the Bible in a year or maybe two years? Or just maybe to read the New Testament through in a year? Do you meditate and think upon the Word? Even more practical, how about getting plugged into a Sunday school class? What are they going to do in that class? They're going to teach the Bible. Come to corporate worship and engage in the Word of God. And during the week, unpack the suitcase. Some of y'all sitting over here in Ms. Lynn's class know what that means. If you want to know, just go ask her. Unpack the suitcase. I'll go ahead and tell you. We fill the suitcase up when we're here and when we get home. What do we do with the suitcase? We throw it in the closet. We don't unpack it. Think and meditate on the Word. The opportunities are plentiful. Secondly, prayer. Do you have time in your day for prayer? Do you? A lot of you ride a pretty good distance to work, right? You ever thought about redeeming that time to pray? How about pulling out the church directory and praying for the other believers, the people of God here at Redbutt? How about praying for your neighbors? If you'll come see me, I'll give you a way to do that. Every day I get an email from an app on my phone that sends me the names of five of my neighbors and I have a radius of three miles from where I live and every day I get a list of five people that live in this community for me to pray for. I pray for them and I hit the little button that I've prayed for them and when I've prayed through that list there's a lot of people on there send me a message saying you've prayed for everyone in your community within a three mile radius. Some of your names pop up on there. I pray for you, but there's a lot of lost people in this community that pop up on that list. Set a goal for Bible reading and prayer. Here's the deal. If you aim at nothing, 
You're going to hit it every time. Right? If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. Here's another way. Discipleship. Take a new believer under your wing and help him or her to grow in Jesus. Do the work of ministry. And you can do that in your home, parents. But a lot of us sitting here today need to be thinking there are new believers, people I see get saved, that need someone to come alongside them and help them to know Jesus. How about suffering? You're like, I don't want to go there. Suffering is an opportunity for ministry. As you trust in Jesus and you show how sufficient He is through your trials, other believers will be strengthened. And those who don't know Jesus will be drawn to you. And here's the point I want to make. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste the suffering that God gives to you. Lastly, share your faith. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And just don't pray for them. Begin to look for them. The last couple of weeks, I've been really convicted over my lack of sharing the gospel with people. The Lord's really worked on me and says, Gary, you are wasting some opportunities. And you're not even looking for opportunities. You need to wake up. People are lost. And I remember one particular day, man, I was praying earnestly, God, give me somebody to share the gospel with today. So I go about my day, and I'm in Lewisburg, and it's near the end of the day, so I, I, go, I go by the gym, and I get on the treadmill, and I'm getting ready to put my earphones in, and guess who jumps up on the treadmill beside me? I didn't know him, but I later found out his name was Irving, and I started putting my earphones in, and it was like, I remembered that prayer that morning, so I didn't put them in, and I kind of looked at him just, what's your name? Irving. And we begin the conversation. This week, I was praying earnestly again. And I find myself in a car with someone riding down the road. And God says, here's your opportunity. Share the gospel. Share your faith. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And again, is that a prayer God's going to go, well, I'll get back to you about that. No. Pray for those opportunities and then begin to look for them. Here's the application I want you to have. Don't waste your life. Time is limited. Ask yourself, how is what I'm doing with my time contributing to the kingdom of God? Evaluate your life to see if there are patterns where you waste time. Evaluate and say, are there patterns in my life that I can look at and say, I'm wasting time? Ask yourself, do I desire to glorify God with my time? Evaluate your approach to your job. Are you just taking a paycheck, looking for more money, looking for a promotion? Are you seeking to glorify God when you go into that job? Are you looking to live your life on mission when you go into that workplace? Or is it just a paycheck? If you're a Christian, there's a lot more than a paycheck going on there. There are people in your office, in your uh, uh, sphere of work that are lost. How about your education pursuits? Are you pursuing education? To have a big career? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But are you pursuing education that God would allow you to get this education so that you might use that to glorify Him? Or in your parenting? Or in your being a husband or a wife? Is that time being consciously spent for the kingdom of God? Do you count those things as precious and use them for God? John chapter 9 verse 4, listen to what Jesus says. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. 
Night is coming when no one can work. You guys at farm, right? Daylight till when? Dark. Because at night time you can't get any work done. While it is day conveys a sense of urgency. It refers to a brief time. Daylight only lasts so many hours, right? And then darkness comes and nobody can work. We are to serve God. We are to focus on God's mission with a sense of urgency. Because the time is coming when no one can work. And He's calling you and me to use our time wisely. Verse 17. Wise Christians discern the will of God. Christians should be careful how they live and look. Therefore, do not be foolish. Christians should not go back to the ways of their past. Listen, that is foolish. And in the Bible, a fool is referring to who? Someone who's lost. Don't go back to your way of life and act like you are lost. Being foolish also means that we adopt the world's relative system of morals and values. When you're living in an evil day, if you aren't careful, even as a Christian, you know this to be true. If you aren't careful, you can very easily absorb the world's values, right? You kind kind of become desensitized, right? You're around this all the time, so it kind of filters in. We think it's okay to live together outside of marriage, especially if it saves us money. Because after all, the world does that. We accept divorce for incompatibility because after all, shouldn't we be happy? We tolerate gambling as innocent fun because after all, there are casinos and they sell the tickets in the store. Everybody else is buying them. We begin to look just like the world except that we go to church occasionally. That's the biggest difference. Paul calls such behavior unwise and he says it's foolish. Unwise, foolish people live for temporary fulfillment and pleasure. If you read the Bible, in particular the book of Proverbs, unwise, foolish people live for immediate enjoyment. They live according to their feelings, their impulses, and their desires. And Proverbs says that is foolish to do that. Unwise people don't think about storing up treasure in heaven. They're focused completely on the here and now. That's foolish living. Paul says there's a sharp contrast. Notice what he says there. Therefore, don't be foolish, but do what? Understand what the will of the Lord is. The word understand uh, suggests using our minds to discover, but not only to discover, but to do the will of God. Most of the times when we talk about the will of God, we're, t- we're, we're kind of like major decisions. That's how we look at the will of God. Who should I marry? What car should I buy? Those are things to pray about and want wisdom about. But that's not what we're talking about here. What career should I pursue? All those are good. But that's not what this is talking about. Too many Christians have the idea that discovering God's will is some kind of mystical experience that rules out thinking. These are not what Paul is referring to. Instead, he's referring to God's will, which is already revealed to us. And for us, that means understanding the Bible. Everything you need to know to live for God is found in here. 
The Bible clearly reveals God's will for every believer. And that will is that every believer patterns his life after Jesus. It also means our priorities are God priorities. God's will personally for every Christian, not just those who are super spiritual, not just those who go to seminary, not just pastors or missionaries. God's will personally for every Christian is that his or her life be concerned with God's saving purpose for this world. If we don't live in light of that purpose, we are foolish. We are wasting our lives. And by the way, God's plan to save the world, it's going to happen. Nothing is going to stop that. How many of y'all like guarantees? God said it. It's going to happen, right? Why would you not give your life to something that's a guarantee? Why would you not pour your life into God and His mission? Paul says that we're not to walk as unwise people, but as wise. We are to redeem the time because the days are evil. He's warning us, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Let me finish by saying this. No matter who you are, if you walk with Jesus and grow wise through His Word, God will use you. It doesn't matter what your education level is. If you walk with Jesus and grow wise through His Word, God will use you. One last thing. Do you think about being a person of godly purposes? Do you think about that as a Christian? The fact that God is a God of purpose means that if you're to be like Him, you'll be a person of purpose, and your purpose will line up with His purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Gospel today. We thank You for the hope of redemption in Christ today.